And I want to begin by reading for you a story that was told by the late American radio broadcaster Paul Harvey. Some of you older folks might remember him, as I do. I'm putting myself in that category of older folks. But he told a story one time that went like this. One raw winter night, a man heard an irregular thumping sound against the kitchen storm door. He went to a window and watched as tiny shivering sparrows, attracted to the evident warmth inside, beat in vain against the glass. Touched by their sad plight, the farmer bundled up and trudged through the fresh snow to open the barn for the struggling birds. He turned on the lights and tossed some hay in a corner and sprinkled a trail of saltine crackers to direct them to the barn. But the sparrows, which had scattered in all directions when he emerged from the house, still hid in the darkness, afraid of him. He tried various tactics, circling behind the birds to drive them toward the barn, tossing cracker crumbs in the air toward them, retreating to his house to see if they'd flutter into the barn on their own. Nothing worked. He, a huge alien creature, had terrified them. The birds could not understand that he actually desired to help. He withdrew to his house and watched the doomed sparrows through a window. As he stared, a thought, as he stared, a thought hit him like lightning from a clear blue sky. If only I could become a bird, one of them, just for a moment, then I wouldn't frighten them so. I could show them the way the way to warmth and safety. At the same moment, another thought dawned on him. He had grasped the whole principle of the incarnation. A man becoming a bird is nothing compared to God becoming a man. The concept of a sovereign being as big as the universe he created, confining himself to a human body, was and is too much for some people to believe. The Incarnation, one of the great mysterious doctrines on which the Christian faith is founded. Simply defined, the Incarnation is God becoming a man, God taking on human form in the person of Jesus Christ. And there is no simpler or clearer description of this profound truth than what the Apostle John wrote in the first chapter of his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 14, he wrote this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this verse is part of John's epic prologue to his personal eyewitness account of the life of Jesus Christ that we know as the gospel of John. And in the first 18 verses, he gave an overview of the entire book and laid out the basic themes and topics and the key terms that he would develop later on in the book. And the main reason John wrote this book or this gospel was to prove that Jesus was actually God himself in human form so that people would believe in him and experience abundant life now while we're on earth and eternal life in heaven someday when we die. Now, no one can deny that Jesus existed. It's a historic fact that he lived and died 2,000 years ago in the land of Israel. 
In fact, the world's calendar system is based on the birth of Jesus. B.C., before Christ, A.D., Latin, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. And so there's no question if Jesus actually existed. The question is, who was he? Who was Jesus? And in this single verse, John simply summarized how Jesus is God because he embodied God's glory and expressed God's heart. He began by saying, and the word became flesh. This is the most explicit statement in the entire Bible of the doctrine of the incarnation. And I find it interesting that that John didn't refer to Jesus by name, but he returned to his original description of Jesus that he gave him back in verse 1, where he wrote this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do you realize what a breathtaking, mind-blowing statement that is? Affirming the deity of Jesus Christ or the fact that Jesus is God. And by referring to Jesus as the Word, he was saying that Jesus was the means by which God chose to reveal himself or to express himself or to speak to us about himself or to communicate what he wanted us to know about himself. Words are what we use to communicate with one another. And so God used Jesus to communicate with us. And yet Jesus is more than words. He is the word. And one word says it all. We know that God has revealed himself to us in a number of ways. He's revealed himself to us through creation and what we see all around us every day. He's revealed himself through our conscience, which he gave every one of us a built-in guide to tell us what is right and wrong, and by that we know that there is a God, and he's also revealed himself in the canon or the scriptures, but he's also revealed himself through Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was God's last and best expression of himself. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, Hebrews chapter 1 Verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And so the writer of Hebrews confirmed what John said that Jesus is the eternal God who created the world. John went on in chapter 1, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In other words, Jesus didn't come into existence 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem. He existed in eternity past which means he never had a beginning. He's always been, he always will be. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 15, John the Baptist testified about him. 
And he cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And if you know the timeline of the conception and birth of John the Baptist and the conception and birth of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist was conceived and born six months earlier than Jesus, and yet he said that he existed before him. He understood the eternality of the Son of God. In fact, Jesus himself said in John 8, verse 58, before Abraham was, what? I am. And so in that profound moment 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, the great I am, the immortal, invisible, infinite God encased himself in a human body so he could dwell among us and die for us to express his desire to graciously deliver us from bondage to Satan and sin. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says this, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, he himself likewise also partook of the same flesh and blood, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. This was the ultimate purpose of the incarnation. That Jesus was born to die. Sam already read this text from Philippians chapter 2 to the children. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, talking about Jesus Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When God became flesh, he didn't empty himself of deity. This is what we call, refer to as the kenosis passage, the the emptying of himself. He didn't empty himself of deity, but he set aside the independent use of his divine attributes. In other words, he never stopped being God. He simply took on human limitations. This is all about addition, not subtraction. He was deity clothed in humanity. He was God disguised as a man. Some of you may have read growing up the classic Mark Twain novel, The Prince and the Pauper. Remember that? How this prince dressed up like a poor child and lived in the slums and he switched places with a poor kid who ended up living in the palace. I think there's a great picture of how he who was rich became poor so that we were who were poor became could become rich. And so God humbly and graciously came into this fallen broken world dressed up like a man to identify with our experience on earth entirely from the cradle to the grave. And I'm not sure you ever thought about this, but Jesus didn't just show up and spend a weekend here. Showed up on Friday afternoon, died on the cross, 
rise again on Sunday, and then like, I'm out of here. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Didn't have that attitude. He needed to live a perfect life that we couldn't live in order to earn our righteousness, but he also wanted to give us time to get our minds around who God is. And we had 33 years to get to know God. John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, pitched his tent among us. Or tabernacled is really the word here that John uses, which is a clear reference to Israel's uh, tabernacle, which they had in the Old Testament, which was their portable place of worship where people could meet with God during the days when they wandered in the wilderness. And while this temporary tent was humble in its appearance, inside dwelled the Shekinah glory of God. And here in the New Testament, God chose to meet with us in a much more personal way, not in a place, but in a person. The person of Jesus Christ, in whom dwelled the Shekinah glory of God. It says here, and he dwelled among us and we saw his glory, which should be a shocking statement to us. If you understand the scriptures and you know the scriptures, there's a lot of other verses in the Bible that say that God cannot be seen. In fact, just a few verses later, John says that very specifically in verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. God is spirit. He doesn't have a body, which means he's invisible. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. And even if we could see the Lord, none of us would ever survive the experience. You may remember when Moses asked God to show him his glory... On Mount Sinai, God said in Exodus thirty-three twenty-three, 23, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. So since none of us could see God nor would survive a face-to-face encounter with God, he clothed himself with humanity and came to earth so we could see him and live to tell about it. And so even though his deity was hidden or concealed inside a human body, God's glorious perfections were obvious to all that knew him. He lived a perfect, sinless life, no flaw, no blemish in him. He was absolutely perfect in everything he said and everything he did. And he exemplified all of God's attributes, his truth, his love, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his wisdom, his faithfulness, his justice, his holiness. And every once in a while, he would put on display God's power through his miracles, which gave people a glimpse of God's glory. In chapter 2 of John's gospel, when he recorded Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine. He said this, this beginning of his signs Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory. And 
And so we know this is so true. Paul said it well in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that Christ, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In other words, Jesus is an exact replica of God. He is fully God in every way. And so if you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus in the Gospels. Because when you look at Jesus, you are looking at God. In fact, Jesus said that, John chapter 12, verse 45, he who sees me, sees the one who sent me. Perhaps John had in mind when he wrote this line, he dwelt among us and we saw his glory. He was thinking about the transfiguration. When Jesus peeled back his flesh, if you will, and and, and revealed his glory, and the disciples that were on the mountain with him were stunned. And so John, who's writing this, saw God's glory shining forth from Jesus with his own two eyes. And later, when he wrote 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he introduced himself with these words, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And so he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. The only begotten son. This was one of John's signature ways of describing Jesus. Probably most well known in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, what? Begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What this word means is that, that Jesus was unique. He was one of a kind. He was in a class all by himself. He was the one and only, and he was loved like no other. Again, this doesn't suggest that there was a time when the Son of God was not, and then the Father brought him into being as if he was born. The second member of the Trinity has eternally existed with the Father. This was just John's way of emphasizing the unique love relationship shared between the Father and the Son. Someone said it this way, that when God, it's as if God ripped out his heart and sent him to earth in the form of his Son. A few verses later, he said, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. This was the same expression that that John would later use in his gospel to describe how he had reclined back on Jesus' chest uh, during the Last Supper, chapter 13, verse 23, which again just showed how close 
John was with Jesus, that they enjoyed a, an intimate relationship with each other. John had a special place in Jesus' heart. And so in like manner, when John said that, that, that uh, Jesus was the only begotten God who is the bosom, who is in the bosom of the Father, it, again, it's just talking about how close the Father and the Son were how they enjoyed this intimate relationship with each other and the son had a special place in the father's heart. And more importantly, he shared what was in the father's heart. Like I said earlier, it's as if God sent his heart in Jesus. And what does God's heart look like? What is God's heart full of? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of, remember, what does it say? Grace and truth. In other words, Jesus' life was completely characterized by those two things, by grace and by truth. He was the perfect blend of these two divine qualities or attributes. And he was the fullest expression of God's grace and God's truth. And again, I think this is reminiscent of how God revealed himself to Moses when he asked God to show him his glory. Exodus chapter 34, verse five, the Lord descended in the cloud and passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindnesses for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Moses was hoping to see something, but instead he heard something. He heard God proclaim who he was, and primarily he was gracious and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Grace we know as God's kindness to those who don't deserve it, who can't earn it. Truth is the fact that while God is kind and gracious towards sinners, he never approves of sin or excuses sin. In other words, he must punish sin. And so the truth is that we deserve to die and go to hell because of our sin. But Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of all those who are willing to turn away from their sin and to trust in Christ's work on the cross alone for their salvation. Which all shows God's undeserved and unearned kindness in wanting to save sinful people like you and like me. He's full of grace and truth. What you've heard tonight about Jesus Christ through the songs that have been sung and through the scriptures that have been read and through this message that we're hearing right now is, is all truth. And Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. He also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And then the unforgettable exchange that Jesus had with Pilate on the day of his crucifixion. Pilate said to him, so are you a king? 
Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Whether he said that with a sneer or a sigh, we don't know. But we, what we do know is that the truth incarnate was standing right in front of Pilate, but he didn't realize it. And he missed his opportunity to be saved, to submit his life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to find the truth that he was longing for. The question is, how will you respond to the truth that you've heard tonight? And in the words of Paul Harvey, is it too much for you to believe that the one who created you confined himself to a human body in order to come rescue you from sin, death, and hell? Is that too much for you to believe? Charles Wesley said it well in his classic hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. He got it right. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. God with us. Let's pray. God, we stand in awe of you. We're here tonight to celebrate, to rejoice in the coming of your son Jesus, who we know is ultimately you in human form. And that's why you wanted his name to be Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you that it pleased you to dwell with us on this fallen, broken planet, but never once sinning, and yet being willing to die for all of us who have sinned so much, and then rising again from the dead and ascending back into the heavens where that precious relationship that you enjoy with Father, Son, is even now pleading with us a testimony to us tonight to come to Christ and to give up our sin and to bend the knee to Jesus as our Lord and our Master. Father, I pray you grant us faith, you grant us repentance, that we would be true Christians not just Christmas Eve Christians, but Lord, Christians all year round and every day of our lives and for the rest of our life. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen.